2: And welcome to That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years, an SNL podcast. I am your host, Nick DeCilio. I'm a podcaster, comedy writer, and performer, graduate of the Second City, a Saturday Night Live expert and historian, and each week we will look at everything SNL. The best, the worst, the good, the bad, the classic, the forgotten. We'll talk about full seasons and full casts, behind-the-scenes stories, episodes, sketches, SNL's historical significance, and much, much more. Sometimes I'll have guests, sometimes I won't. But with every single episode, I will always prove that that tired cliche that you hear all the time, that show hasn't been funny in years, is absolutely wrong. And this episode is titled, Opie's Back. <laughs> it involves the one time that Ron Howard hosted Saturday Night Live, and they did a sketch about Mayberry uh, and about uh, the Andy Griffith show called Opie's Back. And um, it's, a, it's an interesting and, uh, and fun sketch. And we're going to talk about that and, uh, and Ron Howard in general and some of the, uh, some of the things that, uh, you know, the monologue on that show. Uh, but really specifically about Opie's back, which is a very interesting um, and especially for the time satire parody of, um, of Mayberry and of Andy Griffith. And you'll understand why it's so interesting and why it's kind of uh, memorable for so many people. I know a lot of people back in the day when this aired, really remember this, because Ron Howard is actually there, and you will find out very soon that actually another person appears in that sketch, (laughs) and it's a pretty big person, a pretty important person, and if you're going to do a satire of The Andy Griffith Show, you know, sometimes it's amazing if Andy Griffith shows up, so you got that, and then how, um, you know, how beloved The Andy Griffith Show is, and how Mayberry has been uh, very rich in terms of satire over the years. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about how it popped up in a very similar sketch on Mad TV um, some 16 years later. Yeah. So we'll talk a little bit about that and more. It's called Opie's Back, and this is That Show Has Been Funny in Years. So, all right. Ron Howard hosted SNL one time, and it was an interesting time in his career when this happened because he had just started to take off as a director. He had done a, a few films for Roger Corman, little low-budget movies like Grand Theft Auto and a couple of other things. But his first sort of major movie, even though it was low-budget and kind of independent, his first major movie had hit the theaters three months earlier. Ron Howard hosted SNL on season, uh, during season eight, which was a tumultuous, uh, weird season during that whole period where Eddie Murphy was the star, Joe Piscopo was kind of there, and everybody else was completely forgotten, kind of. And it was during the Dick Ebersol period, which uh, you know Lauren Michaels would like to forget, but it was season eight and it was episode three. Ron Howard was the guest, was the host, and the musical guest was the Clash. Yes, the Clash. Um, and it was um, it was a pretty it was a pretty interesting show, uh, you know, because I mean obviously it, it was a big deal because the guest by the uh, the, the Clash did uh, "Should I Stay or Should I Go Straight to Hell." They were both great performances. It was the third episode of season eight. Uh, Ron Howard obviously had been in uh, The Andy Griffith Show, and The Clash were very popular at the time. And your special performance guest, your special guest that night, was Harry Anderson. And it was one of the many times that Harry Anderson would appear on Saturday Night Live and then appear, obviously, on talk shows and in cheers. And it was at the time when he was really starting to catch fire. Harry Anderson, obviously, uh, noted in real life as a con man, a magician, a sleight of hand guy, and a stand up comedian who took all of those uh, street smarts, put him into an act. Got on uh, Letterman, got on um, Saturday Night Live and other talk shows, um, obviously uh, made it onto Cheers and then eventually turned it into a very successful sitcom of his own called Night Court. So Harry Anderson got his start. And one of his early appearances was on this episode. It's October 9th, 1982. And again, as I do during every episode of this podcast, I like to tell you not only uh, the date that this episode that we talk about takes place, but the season and the episode number so that you can look it up online, whether it be at the SNL uh, YouTube channel or online in general, or on Peacock, where you can see almost every single episode, whether the whole episodes or in edited format, but you can see pretty much every single episode of every uh, season of SNL on Peacock at Peacock.com. But this episode that we're going to be concentrating on is from October 9th, 1982, Season 8, Episode 3. So uh, it was three months after Night Shift was, uh, was, uh, was made. And Night Shift was the first sort of big, um, you know, sort of the big kind of movie that he that, that Ron Howard made. Um, that got some attention. Uh, You know, Henry Winkler was in it, who they obviously they co-starred together on Happy Days and Shelley Long before uh, Cheers, Um, you know, that she was in in, in at that point. And it was the first big movie for Michael Keaton who became sort of an overnight sensation in that movie and began his dominance of 80s comedies uh, and then going on to serious roles and now, you know, considered one of the best actors, you know, one of the the most solid actors, uh, you know, in the world. Um, so Night Shift was out for three months. So he was establishing himself as uh, as a pretty solid director at that point. Now, and the other interesting thing is that this took place during season eight of SNL and season eight of SNL is an interesting season, uh, as I said, because it was during that whole, uh, you know, Dick Ebersol period. And it was this episode took place two months before 48 Hours came out. So during season eight, season eight was the season when 48 Hours came out, and Eddie Murphy, who was already, you know, the superstar of the cast, who already owned the show, people tuned into Saturday Night Live during those seasons – just to see Eddie Murphy. Everybody else was just secondary. And even if they were, there were good people in the cast and funny people in the cast and people like Joe Piscopo and a couple of Tim Kazarinski and a few other people, you know, made impressions during those seasons, but Eddie Murphy was the star. Eddie Murphy was the runaway star. And then two months later, after this episode aired, Forty-eight hours came out, and that's when it all changed. That's when Eddie Murphy became a movie star. That's when he took over. At one point, he actually hosted the show while he was a cast member because Nick Nolte didn't show up. He was supposed his co-star, um, his co-star from uh, from Forty-Eight Hours was supposed to be the uh, uh, to be the host. Um, and yet he was a no-show. So Eddie Murphy, and this is the only time this has ever happened, Eddie Murphy, while he was a cast member, was host, which, of course, pissed off everybody on staff, especially the cast members. But they figured, hey, he's the co-star of the guy who was supposed to host. So we'll let him host. And I'm going to do an entire episode dedicated to the time that Eddie Murphy as a cast member and the only time a cast member, while they were a cast member, hosted. Very uncomfortable for everybody involved and especially the staff and the cast. But anyway, so this was a couple of months before Eddie Murphy became a megastar around the world and a movie star. This was when he owned Saturday Night Live. So it was an interesting time. It was the eighth season of Saturday Night Live. Um, The premiere of the eighth season was hosted by Chevy Chase. Um. And uh, you know, it, it would also feature he hired at this point for this season, he hired Julie Louis Dreyfus and Brad Hall and Gary Kroger. Uh, Brad Hall and, and Julia Louis Dreyfus would actually uh, end up, um, would actually end up uh, getting married um, at, uh, at some point. But the cast during this season were uh, Robin Duke, Mary Gross, Brad Hall, Tim Kazarinski, Gary Kroger, Julia Louis Dreyfus, Eddie Murphy, and Joe Piscopo. Um, And some of the trivia about season eight, Eddie Murphy became the first and so far only cast member to host while he was a principal cast member. Drew Barrymore became SNL's youngest host at the age of seven. I did an entire episode. You might want to backlog it in the archives here. I did an entire episode dedicated to that uh, to that episode. And then Andy Kaufman was banned from SNL forever due to a one nine hundred vote by audience members. And I did an episode about that, too. And it's the first time that the band Queen performed on American television. This all happened during season eight. Of um, of SNL when this took place, so those are your cast members, um, and uh, the writers that season were Paul Barros, Barry W. Blaustein, uh, Robin Duke, Ellen Fogle, Nat Herman, Tim Kazurinsky, Andy Kurtzman, Eddie Murphy, Pamela Norris, Margaret o- uh, Oberman, Joe Piscopo, uh, David Sheffield, Andrew Smith, Bob Tischler, Tracy Tormey, and Elliot Wald. And the head writers were Bob Tischler and Andrew Smith. So that's the rundown of what was happening on season eight. Uh, you know, and every year at that time during the Dick Ebersole year, it seemed like it was very tumultuous, like it was not in the steady hands and the sure hands of Ly- of uh, of Lauren Michaels, who obviously would come back a, a couple of years later and uh, and change the show and then uh, eventually turn it into the conveyor belt kind of thing that it is now every week. But during this time, it's tumultuous. They changed um, they, virtually every season. They changed head writers while Dick Ebersol was there. They were firing cast members and bringing new cast members in. The only consistency of those seasons were was the fact that Eddie Murphy was a superstar, and that people started to watch it again because of him and some of the other sort of things that were happening. So, right in the midst of the Dick Ebersol years, comes Ron Howard. Now, Ron Howard, at this point, like I said, um. Had, uh, had 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 had, you know, he had quite a career as an actor going and he just started his directing career. Um, he, you know, started his career like in 1959. Um, he was in uh, the DuPont show with June Allison when he first started. He was on a couple episodes of The Twilight Zone. He was on Toby Gillis. Uh, and then he landed the gig as Opie Taylor on The Andy Griffith Show. He did that for eight seasons. Everybody loves the Andy Griffith show. He was quoted as saying I was five years old and I was preoccupied with the prop that was in my hand. It was a toy turtle, but I had to pretend that it was a real turtle and the audience just wasn't seeing and it was dead. So I was supposed to cry and be very emotional. I remember looking at that little turtle and talking um, and talking to me about how it was kind of funny. So I have to pretend it's dead. Uh, So I recall it was a very, uh, very relaxed first impression that he had. So the sitcom was known for its old fashioned wholesome quality, which is what they satirize in the sketch we're going to talk about. And in the sketch later that popped up on Mad TV, Uh, it was an easy target. People loved it. You know, people loved the show. It had a great cast and it was wholesome. It was lovely entertainment and people still go back to it to watch it because it's wonderful and it brings back great memories and it's warm and it's family and it's wholesome. Well, those were easy targets for satire. And over the years, obviously people have made fun of the Andy Griffith show. It's been the target on talk shows and on late-night shows, on sketch comedy shows throughout the years. Everybody has done sketches of it. Um, But one of the most memorable ones is the one that SNL did in 82 when Ron Howard hosted because Ron Howard is in it, and he does play Opie, and it does satirize uh, Mayberry in a very edgy, very dark kind of way, and Andy Griffith shows up. So, I mean, it was an interesting time, you know, for, for, uh, for Ron Howard, Ron Howard had appeared on happy days. Uh, you know, he was on in his early days, he was in the courtship of Eddie father, his father. He also appeared on mash. Um, you know, he had done a, a couple of records and then movie wise, he was in American graffiti. He was in more American graffiti. Um, he was in the Shootist with John Houston and then he started directing and, uh, he started directing, you know, w- while working with, uh, uh, you know, uh, a Roger Corman. Roger Corman kind of gave him his first gig, and that was Grand Theft Auto. He did a TV movie called Cotton Candy, Um, you know, and he directed a a, a lot of stuff. Uh, He did a a TV movie called The Time Crystal, but the first sort of big movie that he directed was Night Shift, and it had been out for three months by the time this episode took place. But, of course, he would go on to do things like Splash and Cocoon and Gung Ho, um, you know, and he would do um, Willow, Parenthood, Backdraft, Far and Away the Paper, Apollo 13, Ransom, Ed TV, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. He'd win an Academy Award for A Beautiful Mind. It would also win Best Picture. He would do The Missing, uh, Cinderella Man, Da Vinci Code, all the sequels. uh, You know, Angels and Demons, a sequel. Frost, Nixon, um, you know. I mean, just a ton of stuff, uh, good to bad. I'm not a big fan of his work. Uh, You know, he recently directed uh, 13 Lives, which was based on the true story of of the mine collapsing on a bunch of miners. Based on the true story, he also directed – Uh, you know a solo which was the star wars movie so he's had a you know a very very successful uh directing career and at this point in 1982 he was best known for being on happy days being opie and he just started directing um but he was also known as the wholesome guy because even on happy days he was richie cunningham he was the wholesome clean-cut kid and on on um eddie griffith he was the little kid he was opie he was the clean-cut kid So they decided when he was on uh, SNL to do not only was his monologue, which you'll hear, you will hear his monologue, not only was his monologue aimed to shake that goody two-shoes image to its core, but they did a bunch of sketches that were edgy, that were obviously like, you know, maybe Ron Howard when he met with the writers, when they sat down on the Monday and Tuesday to pitch meetings and stuff like that, maybe they said, okay, look, we are really going to write a lot of sketches about how you're an adult and nobody should think you're Opie or Richie Cunningham anymore. And they should think you're edgy and you're R-rated and we're going to do a lot of sort of questionable and maybe tasteless comedy with an edge. And he went for it. And then years later, he would be executive producer along with his partner, uh, Brian Grazer, who they would form um, Imagine Entertainment. Um, They would actually be responsible for creating and producing one of the edgiest and one of the best sitcoms in the history of television with Arrested Development. Uh, It was created by Mitchell Hurwitz, uh, but they produced it and they, uh, they funded it. And it ran for four seasons. Um, it started in November of 2003, and Ron Howard was on every episode. He did the voiceover. He did the narration of every episode, and his voice was part of it. So a part of edgy comedy, you know, and, uh, and, and, and then a part of wholesome comedy for most of his career. So that was him. Now, uh, let's go back to this night of um, October uh, 9th, 1982. Um, and again, you know, we know his career up until this point he had to shake the uh, the the image of being wholesome so they do it right out of the gate his monologue is what you're about to hear so this is when ron howard took the stage after they did the intros and the opening credits where you get to see you know all the you know all the cast members and you get to see that harry anderson is a special guest and that the clash of the musical guests that night so he comes out on stage, and he's wearing like a um, a high school jacket. He does have the mustache that he had for a little while in the 80s, just the the you know. So he was having a mustache, but uh, as you'll see, uh, he establishes the tone right during the monologue. Like this is going to be the tone of this episode of Saturday Night Live. You are not going to see the Ron Howard that you know, the Opie Ron Howard, the 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 Goody Two Shoes Ron Howard. So here's his monologue from that episode, Season 8, Episode 3. Ron Howard takes the stage.
3: Thank you. Thank you. I have really been looking forward to doing the show tonight because I have spent my entire life in prime time being repressed. But this, this is late night. This is live. This is my time to fly. So what if it's past my bedtime? I'm up. I'm finally going to get to say some of the things and do some of the things that they'd never let me touch in primetime television. For example, here's something they never let me say. Doo doo. Are, are we still on the air? Yeah? Doo-doo. Doo-doo, doo-doo, (laughs) doo-doo. Okay, I know, that's that's enough. I just really enjoyed that. (laughs) Okay, here's another one. Premarital sex. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Intercourse. Jock itch. (laughs) Ah, yeah, here's another good one. Prophylactic. (laughs) There's another thing, too. Now, I drank beer on Happy Days, but it was prime-time beer. It was fake beer. You all knew that, right? But let me tell you something. (laughs) This is the real stuff. This show has been a real liberating experience. (laughs) We'll be right back.
2: And so there it is. That was his monologue. And it established everything that happened during the show. A lot of the sketches were edgy or pseudo edgy. Um, The writing was not very strong. Again, during those years, the writing wasn't great unless Eddie Murphy partook in it or Joe Piscopo partook in it as well. Um, You know, every once in a while, things would take off. But for the most part, it was an underwhelming set of years at Saturday Night Live. The Dick Epresol years were always a little bit. They were always a little bit shaky. People uh, did, you know, take notice during this monologue. I remember watching it. I remember I was in high school when, when, when I watched this, and I thought, oh, that's pretty funny. You know, Ron Howard's drinking a beer. That's great. Oh, and by the way, he did have note cards in front of him because he, uh, that's where doo-doo was written and all these other things were written. So he did have note cards that he was looking at while he was out there doing it. And the monologue made an impression. I remember talking about it because, you know, when I was in high school, you would talk about SNL Monday morning at school. Uh, There wasn't really much to talk about when I was in high school, so I was in high school between 79 and 83, and 79 and 80 were the tail end of the original cast members who were all leaving and were not caring and all that kind of stuff, and then it was, uh, you know, from that point on from like 80 to 83 when I was in high school, it was just Eddie Murphy and Joe Piscopo. So I remember us talking about. I remember my friends and I talking about Ron Howard. I remember talking about the monologue, and there have been other people who talked about it. Uh, you know, people who would blog. Here's a quick blog, knowing that it uh, would soon become a regular thing in this era for hosts to make their monologue entrance through the side door uh, on the home base stage. This is where, when they redesigned the set, uh, it always feels weird seeing. It feels weird seeing uh, Ron Howard randomly make his entrance through the left side, uh, but I love the premise of Ron eager to say and do things that he was never allowed to say on Prime T Prime Time. TV. His choices of bad words are funny. Huge audience reaction to him drinking a beer. Um, And uh, there you go. And overall, I love the monologue. This was somebody who writes uh, about uh, Saturday Night Live uh, pretty regularly. So uh, it was a monologue that it established, you know, the tone. Uh, And clearly, you know, Ron Howard still had the high voice. You know, he was still he still looks young. I mean, to this day, he looks younger than he really is. And he will always, forever be Opie, or forever be Richie Cunningham. But they wanted to put an end to that. So, um, so Opie's back is the name of the sketch that uh, that this episode is named after, and you're about to hear the whole thing. It's an interesting, it's an interesting sketch. It was written by Bob Tischer, uh, Andrew Smith, and Barry Blaustein, um, and the idea was pitched at Ron Howard. And um, it's interesting because the 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 style of this sketch, it it actually is kind of a prescient sketch or a prescient sketch, however you say that word. Um, Because this sketch aired and was written in 1982, and it was right before, right before the big uh, 80s, big-muscled machine gun shoot-em-up movies of Stallone and Van Damme and Schwarzenegger uh, and all of the big you know uh over the top we need to go in and administer some just like there there i think i think by that point there were only two death wish movies as opposed to the eight that would end up so every other week in the 80s the 80s were loaded with muscles guns rambos you know uh terminators and all of these big budgeted movies and in the 80s, the Reagan era, during the Reagan era, it was all about let's you know, let's let's uh, we've got a lot of enemies up from foreign soil and Reagan is here and it's the Cold War and we're going to bomb the hell out of them and we've got the bigger guns and we've got Star Wars and we've got weapons and it was all about building up weapons of mass destruction. It was all about the Cold War. It was the Reagan era when your heroes had big muscles and lots of guns and they shot the hell out of people of, of, uh, who were not like Americans. And that was the thing. But this sketch that that you're about to hear the Opie's uh, Opie's back really was kind of on the cutting edge at the time. Um, at the time, only First Blood had been released. It was it was the only it was only First Blood and had just come out. So the first First Blood is before Rambo became the caricature muscle machine gun maniac that he became in the second. Because First Blood is a legitimately good movie. In my opinion, it's the best Sylvester Stallone performance, and I think it's the best Sylvester Stallone movie of all time. It's heartbreaking. The character of John Rambo is actually real. He's not a caricature. He's not a giant muscle-bound idiot screaming and shooting and blowing everything up. He's a guy trying to survive. He's a guy with you know PTSD. He's a, he is a Vietnam vet who was wrongly treated by his government and by everybody. Uh, and, 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 and it's a really serious, beautiful film. And it does have, you know, it does have guns and it does have stuff blowing up in it, but it's not, it is not of that era of the Reagan era muscles and guns movies, but this sketch kind of jumped into that. And Opie comes back, as you'll hear, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's interesting. So, uh, you know. Um MeTV wrote an article about this very sketch. So let me just uh, read that and then we'll hear the entire sketch. and then we'll talk about a little bit about what went into it and how it was made and what the what the backlash was. And then how about sixteen years later, a very similar edgy Mayberry sketch showed up on the Saturday Night Live clone, which was not very good. I know a lot of people love it. Mad TV had some uh, had a few. Highlights here and there, and some cast members over the years were pretty good. But overall, Mad TV was sub, sub, subpar SNL. But Mad TV did a very edgy, very similar sketch about Mayberry 16 years later, and we'll go through that. But MeTV wrote a thing about it, and I'm just going to read parts of it. Ron Howard is a delight to watch in interviews and on social media, with the reputation playing America's small town son, his favorite. Uh, it's no wonder that people flock to see him and what he's going to do next. But the character of Opie will always be with him, and the streets of Mayberry will always be great and part of him. But in 1982, Saturday Night Live took a gamble on a sketch that would be like, hey, what would happen if Mayberry reacted to the sheriff's son coming back and trying to follow in the footsteps? So the sketch, Opie's back. The writers of the sketch took a postcard-worthy picture of Mayberry and said, what if we Took this town and we caught it up into the landscape of an R-rated action thriller of the 80s. The premise: Opie returns home as a police officer to find that Mayberry has been overrun with derelicts and crime. The once lovable, sweetest pie characters have been caught up in a spree uh, and no longer see the town through rose-colored glass, uh, glasses. So, in a desperate help for plea for help, uh, Opie begs the spirit of his father. Sheriff Andy Taylor for advice. And the audience receives an exciting surprise when Andy Griffith actually appears to offer his two cents. The sketch is definitely a product of the times. It's blood-splattered action movies like Sudden Impact and First Blood um, were starting to filter in. And it filtered into the wholesome Mayberry and its inhabitants. We learn that the town has turned bad after its peacekeeper... Sheriff Taylor perished in a fishing accident. Adult businesses now line the main street, like porno shops, and there are hookers. Floyd the Barber, played by Eddie Murphy, threatens Otis, who has uh, moved on to the harder stuff. Uh, He threatens him with a razor. And then Opie returns to town. The narrator explains what happens. And it is dark and gritty. Um, And uh, a few years later, um, Andy Griffith's show would actually officially uh, come back. With return to Mayberry, which much more wholesome and much n- not at all like this sketch. So the idea is let's turn Mayberry really, really dark, uh, and let's uh, let's see what happens when we return uh, to Mayberry. So that's what they did in this sketch, um, and uh, the sketch features Eddie Murphy as Floyd, Joe Piscopo as Otis, Robin Duke as Ann B, uh, Ron Howard obviously is Opie, Barry Kroger is Barney. Uh, Brad Hall is Gomer, by the way, and Gomer, who is, uh, uh there's a, there's, a, there's, by the way, there are some wife beating jokes in this and some great, uh, homophobia jokes in this, including the fact that Gomer is now a leather guy who comes out and he's, he's now out of the closet and he's wearing leather and Gomer is clearly like a whips and chains gay guy. And then Andy Griffith shows up. So it's Eddie Murphy, Joe Piscopo, Robin Duke, Ron Howard, Gary Kroger, Brad Hall, and Andy Griffith. And uh, the jokes try to be edgy, and the idea is to take the most wholesome place on earth and turn it into an 80s action movie with revenge. So here it is, all of it, the entire sketch, and it's a little bit long, but you got to take a listen to it. uh, And listen to how edgy it gets. Listen to some of the uh, woman-beating jokes and some of the homophobia jokes, which are, back in 1982, were considered, you know, funny for late night. And we lived in much more casual times then, and you couldn't get away with some of the jokes and some of the edginess of this sketch. But this was what happens when Opie comes back to a very screwed-up, very dark, porn- and drug-infested Mayberry.
0: Mayberry, 1963. A haven of traditional American values. A quiet paradise of warmth, hospitality, and law and order. All maintained by Sheriff Andy Taylor. But then Sheriff Taylor was killed in a fishing accident. And with its protector gone, Mayberry went bad. Mayberry, 1982. A cesspool of vice, where pleasure is cheap and life is cheaper.
1: Here you go. All straightened up now. Now that was a haircut and a shave and um, oh, a party doll. I think that's gonna cost you $40. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Have a nice day. Have a very nice day.
3: Oh, hi, Otis.
1: Wait. You gotta help me. I need a fix. Otis, you shut up and sit down. I need a fix, me, little man, Floyd. I feel spiders under
4: my skin.
1: You shut your mouth, you still owe me money. I'll cut you wide open, you fat no, Don't
3: cut don't, don't me.
1: Don't cut me. I heard you had a little party last night, Floyd. Oh, yeah, had a, had a big shinding last night. Tied up that old bitch Thelma Lou from by her heels from the ceiling. Then I lathered her up with my strap and Gave her a little shade. Blah. Did she scream a lot? <laughs> Only when I nicked her Otis.
3: <laughs> you turn around real slow, Floyd. Or I'll put a bullet in that black butt of yours.
1: <laughs> oh, B, how are you? So good to see you.
3: Well, Floyd, Belmaloo tells me that you slept little and nobody cuts up one of my girls without paying extra oh sorry i don't
4: think
1: i have any extra money on me b
0: well mayberry a town in the grips of the hardest criminals ever to stain a street but in 1982 the scum who run mayberry had better watch out because freeze opie's back (laughs) opie taylor once he was a small-town wimp who got beaten up for his lunch money. But then he left home and grew up fast in Vietnam. Teaching the Viet Cong a lesson in small-town American values with a flamethrower. And now he's back ready to clean up Mayberry with a loaded 357.
3: Drop that gun, lady. Wow, I recognize that, boss! It belongs to that obnoxious runt nephew of mine. Ain't B. Ain't B. Taylor. Opie. Oh, what the hell are you doing here? We heard you bought it in Nam! <laughs> oh no, that wasn't me, Aint B. That was the beaver. <laughs> no, I spent three years in a rat cage in Quang Tree. Three years dreaming of orange pop, fishing, and apple pie. What happened to this town, A.B.? Well, times change, runt. Your damn father didn't leave much for me to live on, so I rounded up Phil and a couple of the girls, and I started a local business. Well, turns out, people were tired of having to drive up to Mount Pilate every time they wanted to get some tail. A.B., <laughs> that's disgusting. And Floyd. Lloyd, what's happened to you?
0: You're...
1: <laughs> what? You're... I'm black, genius. Oh, always been black, oh, Opie. Always, oh, for years, I was black. Back, back, oh, for ten years, you. pa used to know about it. used to make me walk around Mayberry wearing white face. Pa knew about it. You know, you should live up to it. You're getting your hair cut by a Negro boy. If I had my way, I would cut your throat.
3: <laughs> yeah. That's enough, Floyd. Now all of you listen up. I don't care if times have changed. This town's going back to the way it was, even if I have to scrape every last bit of scum off the sidewalks with my own hands. Ooh. We might as well start with this place too. <laughs> Look at this.
1: That's awful. Hey,
3: that's that's not ne- necessary
4: to pull that down. Opie. Hey, open. Hey, oh, that's my favorite. Holy right there, oh <laughs> <laughs>
3: Gomer, take his gun.
4: Hey, Opie. Gomer. Now hey, you get your hands on the counter there, put your feet back and spread them. I'm gonna search you, Opie. Well, go away. You sure got a hard body, Opie. He's cleaning barn. Barney? That's right, Opie. Nice to see you again. Floyd, you're late on your payments.
3: Oh, sorry about that, Barney. Barney, what the heck is going on here? Well, Mayberry's grown up, Oh, and I see that you have, too. You know, I could use a good man like yourself to make collections. Ooh, the girls would just love to see some new blood around the house. They'd just gobble up a young stud like you. Hey, Ope, if y'all come up to the garage, I'll show
4: you my dipstick.
0: <laughs>
4: Look, Oak. Either you accept Mayberry right now, or I'm gonna have to waste you. Oh,
3: I sure wish Paul was here. He'd know what to do.
0: What's the matter, Oak? You got problems?
4: Paul!
3: Paul, is that, is that you? I need your help, Paul. I came back to clean up Mayberry, but I can't. They took my gun.
0: Oh, a gun never solved anything. I never carried one. If you want to get people over to your side, do what I did. Talk to them. Reason with them. And if that doesn't work, ball up your fist and hit them upside the head. How <laughs> do uh, you think I kept Aunt B in line?
3: Thanks, Paul. <clears throat> Give me that gun, Barney. I don't. Think so, Barney? There you go. Otis, within the next twenty-four hours, the sexiest thing I want to see in this shop had better be a bottle of Old Spice.
1: You got it? I got it. Open. I'm Floyd.
3: (laughs) I told you I couldn't recognize you. (laughs) Hey, Otis. (laughs) (laughs) Now, ain't B. I want you to get yourself back in that little kitchen, and I want you to bake me the biggest oh, draft. Dad, I don't remember the recipe. <laughs> you better remember it, A-B.
2: That's right, you better remember it.
3: Now, Gomer, you get yourself back in that closet or you get out of town. <laughs> I'm gonna make Mayberry what it once was. Wholesome, and virtuous. I know it's a big job, but America's gotta have something to believe in. Come on, everybody. You all remember it?
2: Yeah, so that's it. That's that's the whole sketch. Um, And it's interesting because it ran right after the monologue. So um, they went oh, I have almost 13 and a half minutes without going to break, over 13 minutes, because that sketch is almost seven minutes long, which is kind of unusual uh, to go straight from – they did it earlier. They did it in the early days. Now it's uh, cold open, you know, it's cold open uh, monologue um, break and then first sketch. But back then, every time they mixed it up, but they had the cold open. They had uh, the monologue establishing the fact. That Ron Howard was going to be edgy and not your Opie and not your Richie Cunningham. And then they went straight into the Opie's back edgy Mayberry thing and established it uh, with all kinds of horror jokes and drug jokes and uh, Andy Griffith talking about how he used to beat the shit out of Aunt B And, <laughs> and uh, you know, edgy, and they went edgy. They did. Um, uh, some of the reaction was was interesting at the time. I remember it did. It did actually, people were really... Uh, up in arms a little bit about it. I remember people complaining about it. Uh, you know, people who, <coughs> who still love The Andy Griffith Show and thought that it was an institution that was, you know, you, you couldn't touch and that you shouldn't make fun of, which of course is, you know, uh, not true because, in my opinion, I think the opinion of anybody who loves good satire or, or good black comedy or good comedy in general, no subject is off target. No subject is off the table. You should be able to satirize, make fun of, or make comedy out of any serious subject. And if you want to make fun of Mayberry, you should. And a lot of people did. And uh, as I mentioned before, Mayberry and uh, Andy Griffith's show has been parodied and satirized throughout the world from Mad Magazine to every other TV show. And we'll get to the Mad TV uh, sketch in a couple of seconds here, in a couple of minutes, because it's very, very oddly similar to what you just heard. So what was edgy and crazy uh, and revenge-ridden in 1982, you'll hear what that was like in 1998. And, there, you know, it's interesting because a lot of people online loved that sketch. I remember talking about it and, and over the years of me talking about SNL and having this podcast and talking to other people about what their favorite sketches were and their favorite moments. A lot of people really, really vividly remember watching this because Mayberry is such an American television institution. It's so beloved. It's so it's so wholesome. That having you know uh, uh, the drug deals and the hookers and the swearing and the and all that stuff and the you know b- you know Gomer being a Gomer Pyle being a closeted uh, uh, you know a closeted uh, S and M queen uh, that was you know out- outrageous at the time and and someone uh, wrote uh, on a Reddit on a Reddit uh, 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 thread here my dad's references with uh, the Ron Howard sketch. Uh, consists more than any other SNL sketch. I can't find it anywhere. It's about how Ron Howard's character, Opie, from the Mayb- from Mayberry, goes back to the town, and things have turned dark. I'm assuming this sketch was probably so offensive that all the video footage has been scrubbed from the Internet. However, I'm curious to see it. I watched the full episode on Peacock, and it's been cut. I've scouted the Internet for it. And does anyone know where I can get it? I can only find a couple of pictures. Well, it's out there. <laughs> you need to know where to look, but it's out there, uh, and you just heard it. So for the people who have missed it, who haven't heard it in all these years— yeah. Some of the other responses, I like the details of the trashy state of, uh, of, uh, of, of, of Mayberry in 1982. Um, oh, it's great that Eddie does another impression of a white celebrity and a white character. Um, uh, uh, the cast is doing fun imitations. Uh, the pre tepped guest segment with Andy Griffith goes well. And then what everybody mentions about this sketch, and what is probably the best part of the sketch, is when Ron Howard improvises and has to improvise. When he makes the mistake of calling Eddie Murphy as Floyd, he calls him Otis. And of course, Eddie Murphy calls him on that. And without missing a beat, he says, "I told you I didn't recognize you." A great piece of improv, a great piece uh, uh t- you know, a great way to to uh to fix the blooper. But it's actually I think the highlight of the entire sketch is Ron Howard being on his feet Eddie Murphy throwing him a curveball because at that time, again, Eddie Murphy could do whatever the hell he wanted on that stage because he owned the show at that point. And if he wanted to, you know, like not be nice to other cast members and make them look dumb to make himself look funnier. He did it. He did it on a regular basis. He would call people out if they screwed up during a sketch. He would break character to make other cast members look a little bit dumb because he was the hero. He was the savior of SNL at that time, and he did a lot of questionable stuff that you don't do, especially in the world of improv. One of the things that you learn in improv is that you make the other person look good. You listen to what they say. You respond, and you don't break character. You don't break the fourth wall. You create this world when you're doing improvisation. Um, you create a world and you support it. Whatever the other person on stage does, you support that. You don't stop them. You don't shut them down. Well, Eddie Murphy did that regularly because he was the star. He could get away with it. And quite frankly, it was funny when he did it. But to have Ron Howard come back like that, like that, with a response that was also funny and got the biggest laugh of the entire sketch. There you go. So edgy Mayberry did not die in 1982. By the way, uh, the rest of the episode was okay. Um, uh, the Clash performances were fantastic. The two Clash performances were great, uh, and it was great to see them on uh, at, at like the height of the popularity of London Calling, and 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 at the height of the popularity of 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 uh, of uh, the Clash when they were starting to cross over into mainstream. Not just being like one of the greatest and most important punk bands of all time, they were crossing over to mainstream, um, you know, and so they were great. Ron Howard did good. Weekend update not so good. That's that episode. Uh, but for the most part, Harry Anderson did a fantastic job. And at that time, Harry Anderson was much edgier than he would be as his career went on, especially when he was on Night Court. So, it was a purposely edgy episode. Some of the sketches were, eh. a couple of the sketches were funny, but the most memorable thing was Opie's back. So that was an attempt to make Mayberry edgy. And then 16 years later, Mad TV did it, and they called it Andy Griffith '98. Um, and this is basically the same sketch. Mayberry has gone bad. It doesn't have anybody from uh, the Andy Griffith show on it. Obviously, Andy Griffith doesn't show up, and neither does Ron Howard. So no one from the show is there. It's all the the, um, the cast members of Mad TV, and uh, it's not a return of anybody. You go back to Mayberry as if um, the corruption and the weirdness of the '90s has shown up. So <laughs> the darkness and the weirdness of the '80s is what. Opie's back is about. But Andy Griffith 98 on Mad TV was all about what would happen in the 90s. Now, visually, there are references to reservoir dogs in this. Um, you'll hear all kinds of stuff. There are uh, uh, lots of visual uh, drug jokes in it. Um, uh, you know, uh, 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 Barney Fife is on cocaine. There's a giant mountain of cocaine under his nose, like a cocaine mustache. And you'll hear some of the other stuff. There's there's a lot of torture, and there's references to Reservoir Dogs, and references to other crime-ridden dark shit that was out in the '90s. So, oddly, Mad TV took a little um, little inspiration from Opie's back in 1982, and uh, here's what they came up with. So, uh, this is uh, from Mad TV. It's called Andy Griffith '98. Very very similar. It's shot in black and white. It was shown in black and white. Um, uh, to, to replicate Mayberry. But what was edgy about 1982 is different because this is what's edgy in 1998. So um, Mary Shear played uh, Aunt B. Will Sasso played Otis. Chris Hogan played uh, Barney Fife. Um, and um, let's see, Pat Kilbane played Andy Griffith. Phil Lamar played Floyd. Alex Borstein played Ron Howard, uh, Opie Taylor. Uh, Lisa Arch Kuschel played... Uh, Clara. So those were the cast members that were in there, and this is the result. So 16 years later, Mad TV picked up the mantle of Opie's back, and the result was this
1: Andy, I'm in a heap of trouble. I gave Otis a dollar to drop off my pickles in today's big pickle contest. Well, he forgot, and now I've missed
4: the deadline.
1: Sorry, I drank them.
4: Oh, no, he's pickled. <laughs> Now, Aunt B, I gotta jar of your pickles right here. Floyd's one of the judges. I'm sure he'll accept a late entry. Mm-hmm. That's a good picture. Good. and right you're sure to win. I hope so. I'm so darn mad. Now, Aunt, you let old Barney take care of this. Otis here let Aunt B down, and we gotta nip it in the bud. Nip it in my butt! Barn, this is May Barrett. We're the police. When we want a citizen to do something, we just ask them right nice. Otis, left side or right? Huh? I'll take that as both. <laughs> well, Otis never did deliver ain't Bee's pickles so you can understand my predicament.
1: Oh, yeah, sure, Andy, sure. Uh, but uh, I can't change the contest rules. Uh, uh, after all, I'm just one judge.
4: Uh, oh, I need to see something happen to you, Floyd. <laughs> uh, uh, uh,
1: this is Maybear, Andy. Uh, uh, what could happen here?
4: A man could lose more than just his business if he's not careful. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm.
1: Oh, oh, Andy, uh, no, no, and, and I pay you protection money, and, and I never never told nobody about those drifters that you you dumped in the pond in in the deep dark pond. Oh, I don't
4: think you're hearing me too clearly, Floyd. Uh, Maybe I need to open up your ears for you. Uh,
1: no, it's it's Bonnie you want. Uh, he's been skimming off the top. Uh, he's robbing you, robbing you blind. Is that rock. Right?
0: no, no, <sighs> no <laughs> <laughs>
4: Aunt B will win that contest, Floyd. Oh, and you might want to see Ellie over at the drugstore and get some iodine on that scratch.
1: Gosh, Paul, you think Aunt B won the pickle contest?
4: Well, son, I reckon we'll find out any minute now. Keep uh... down over there, Otis.
3: Sheriff, please! Otis needs a doctor! He's bleeding real bad! Can't
1: we all just get along?
3: <laughs> please, help us! Why's
1: Clara in jail? Isn't she Aunt B's big rival at the pickle contest?
4: Well, now, son, it's a funny thing. She was on her way to the contest, and Barn pulled her over, found an eight ball of Genuine Colombian blow.
3: You put it there!
4: Actually, it was just a gram. <laughs> That's funny, Barn. I remember giving you an eight ball. Nope.
3: This is insane. You can't plant
0: drugs to fix a pickle contest.
4: Now, Claire, it may just be me getting on in years, but did I just hear you say I can't?
0: Well, it's
3: against the law.
4: I am the law! Ah! No one can stop me.
3: Andy, I won.
4: Oh, congratulations, Ain't be you. knew it.
3: Me too, Aunt Bea. I
0: knew you
1: would, too. Well, why don't we celebrate with one of my wind pickles?
0: Mmm. Oh!
2: <laughs> <laughs> and it's Floyd's ear. Yes. Floyd's ear is what she pulls out of the pickle jar uh, after uh, Andy cuts it off uh, Reservoir Dog style. So you see, it's very similar. A dark Mayberry, uh, although not nearly as funny. And uh, I also find it interesting that the um, the African American uh, uh cast member uh from Mad TV also played Floyd. So I guess maybe that was a a little tip of the hat to the Opie's back 1982 sketch, not really sure. Uh there's a lot of tips to hats on Mad TV because it was essentially just like a sub sub par version. Uh, and you can hear the, you know, the uh the the laugh track in there which just adds to the kind of kind of unfunniness of it. Uh, some talented people in the cast, uh, the writing's not very strong, obvious jokes, and going after um, Reservoir Dogs, you know, six and a half years after Reservoir Dogs was released. <laughs> this is a little interesting. But, so I thought it was, uh, I thought it was kind of funny that uh, 16 years later, Mad TV would make fun of Mayberry in the very dark kind of way that SNL did. But in 1982, SNL did it first, and they did it funnier, and the fact that they had Ron Howard on that stage and the fact that they had the participation of Andy Griffith who made a joke about punching uh, Aunt B repeatedly is an accomplishment of some kind so anyway, Opie's back Ron Howard gets edgy, if you want to check out the entire episode it's season 8, episode 3, October 9, 1982, Ron Howard and the Clash, Harry Anderson is the special guest and that includes Opie's back the edgy return to Mayberry so there it is My thanks to everybody, Jason Skaggs, for doing all the music in this theme. Everybody at Radio Misfits, check out radiomisfits.live, our 24-hour streaming service. And thank you for listening to that show. It hasn't been funny in years. We'll see you next time.
4: Good night, and have a pleasant tomorrow.